One thing I want to do, um, Jane and I were away at a family event and we're not able to be at the Presence Conference that happened right here uh, this weekend. And I was really sad that we couldn't make it, but um, I just literally just drove in this morning, but I heard great things. So I uh, want to give you just a minute to begin to think. Um, Delena is going to walk around with a microphone. And if you've got a brief testimony, 30, 45 seconds, what the Lord said, did, showed you or the impact of the Presence Conference even so far in your life, then we're going to give a couple of you an opportunity to do that. Um, Just watching that Revive uh, uh, School of Transformation video, Dave Knowles is just one of my best friends in the whole world. Dave and I have known each other for uh, 18 years, and um, uh, we were actually texting back and forth this morning because most Sundays for the last 18 years, Dave Knowles has sent me a text around 6 a.m. and says, how can I pray for you? And um, I happened to be crying this morning when he, uh, when he sent that text. It's all good, just emotional today, family stuff, good stuff. But, um, but I, was, I was thinking about Dave, and um, Kim said our own Dave and Sandy Knoll. They are our own, but they're not here. And I just thought you might want to know why they're not here. Of all the people in the world, Dave Knoll could, could fill the function that he's currently uh, filling. Uh, anyone familiar with the Church of Christ, non-instrumental? So, uh, okay, Church of Christ, beautiful people, love Jesus. They just don't believe in, in instruments. And so they, when they gather, they worship. They worship without instruments. Well, this particular Church of Christ in Brownsburg, Brownsburg <laughs> um, uh, have been urged by the Holy Spirit to reconsider that stance and to bring uh, musical instrumental worship into the church. I'm not saying good or bad, right or wrong, it's, but it's a move of God to, to, to have impact on a congregation like that. And so um, who better to lead people into the joy of worshiping God with everything at their disposal than Dave and Sandy Knoll? So Dave is kind of, I, I think we would call him seconded, might be the professional term. He, he asked, would you release us to go and to minister to this church and help them come into uh, worship in a new and a, in a different sense? And so I just, I, I just get a kick out of thinking of Dave Knoll, the most joyful human on the planet, you know, just messing <laughs> in a kingdom way, just messing. So anyway, that's why you don't see Dave and Sandy. Great things about the, the school. Okay. Um, are there any testimonies from this weekend? I wasn't here, but uh, you, they're going to make you run to the back. So brief testimonies. The Presence Conference, while she's on her way. Uh, <laughs> Presence Conference was put on by I Hope Indiana House of Prayer and Equipping, but hosted here at the Vineyard because we love I Hope and all the churches connected with them. And so, uh, and, I, and you ought to just know as we talk about the Presence Conference, hosting the presence of God is one part of the, the call of this church. That, that is one part of the mandate from God upon our church is to literally uh, seek and encounter the presence of God. It's our very number one value that we believe God is here and he's present and we're, we're called to encounter him. And then from that encounter and transformation, go out onto the world and spread the knowledge and the fragrance of Jesus. So there's my little. Okay, stand up, tell us who you are and say something nice. Hi, I'm Heather. Um, so the, the theme of the conference was a uh, place at the table. So I was like, oh, that's great. I like food. <laughs> um, 
And I, I came in completely had, having no expectations, just for a good weekend. And God totally blindsided me Saturday. And um, it was about the father, and it was about, you know, the, the two sons, the one that went away and the one that stayed home and the, the prodigal. And um, I, didn't, I don't remember much of what the guy said because immediately he took me into a picture and I was sitting at a table. It's like, this is great. But I was sitting at my dad's table, not my father's table. I had been eating from the wrong place and I had been feasting at the real table. And so it was a complete revelation. And I've actually felt myself expand to carry so much more when you sit at the correct table. When you sit at the table that the Father, you don't have to earn anything. The feast is in front of you, and you get to do it in front of your enemies. It's awesome. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's amazing. It's freeing. Good. Ancillary testimony, Heather came in laughing this morning and, and didn't stop for about an hour. I was crying. She was laughing. It's all good in the kingdom. Yeah. Uh, my name is Mary Lou. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, something I've been asking the Lord about for maybe the past six months is I just wanted to um, to experience him more at the communion table. And um, one of our, I guess it was our last night's teaching, was about uh, feasting on his body and blood and just knowing who he is and all that he's done for us. And that was just so meaningful for me. And I, I had the opportunity to host a couple of people in my house, and it was kind of weird because Friday night nobody sat at the table when we got home, and then this morning at breakfast like nobody was, and then then somebody came, and it was so cool because some really neat things happened in my heart and life, and I just thank God, you know, it happened at the table, and uh, I know other people that uh, in, in this body that hosted other people, God did some things besides what was going on in the conference in their lives, too, and um, just want to thank everybody in the vineyard who uh, helped. I drafted a lot of people to volunteer, and you were amazing greeters and welcome people and hosts and, um, you know, child care people, and so I just just thank you and thank the body for hosting uh, people from this region to experience the presence of God. He is amazing, and he has so much more for us, so mm-hmm. hallelujah. Great, thanks. One more, got time for one more. I just want to expand on what she said. Chris, tell us who you are. I'm Chris Anderson. Hi. 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 Um, I just want to expand on what Mary Lou said. When Carol had this vision, she saw Jesus on the cross, and she saw all the lacerated parts of him. And out of these lacerated parts was bread. Hmm. And she thought, this is a really strange vision. But he said, come and eat. Because she was asking what that meant. And he said, come and eat. And so it's like he took all of our wounds, our bitterness, our self-inflicted wounds, Mm. our wounds that were inflicted on us by other people. Mm. Every wound he was lacerated with, there was bread, Mm. bread of life, Mm. a whole new life. And he said, take 
and eat. This is my body that I give for you. It was such an impacting thing. Great. Thanks, Chris. All right. Okay, good. Let's stand. I'm going to um, uh, speak from Psalm 32 this morning. It's a very meaningful psalm to me. And uh, Heather, I just want to let you know we're going to go till noon at least. Just let the kids know they'll, they'll have fun. Uh, but I want to read this together. So let's uh, read out. This is the word of God to us this morning from Psalm 32. Let's read with boldness. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Amen. Be seated. It's a uh, really meaningful psalm to me because uh, about three months after Jane and I were married, God changed my life using this psalm. God can use any scripture, right? He just chose this one for me. And I was uh, working in a church, my first job out of college. Um, I was like four, four steps below the youth pastor. And the <laughs> they called me an intern. I did a lot of stuff. They paid me nothing. That was my job. Um, and um, I, I, I have such uh, vivid memories. I still have sort of the fight or flight res- response in my body when I think about it. I was in the sanctuary of the church in Cincinnati where I was working. And um, I don't know why it was, but I, I opened to this psalm, and I, I read Psalm 32. And the place where it says, um, uh, blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven. This is how I memorized it. Whose, trans, whose uh, iniquity God does not hold against him. Blessed is the man in whose spirit there is no deceit. And it's like the Holy Spirit <laughs> arrived in my life. And I, I just saw the words, and it's like uh, God opened, opened my heart to myself, and I looked in, and I saw deceit. There, there was an issue in my life I hadn't dealt with. I hadn't dealt with, I hadn't dealt with, I wasn't dealing with, I wasn't planning to deal with. And um, you probably know the feeling. It is kind of a fight or flight, like, I don't want to be feeling or thinking this. 
But the presence of the Lord was so powerful. I mean, it seemed to me the only logical thing to do is what I did next. I, 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 finished, I finished the passage. I started to cry. I, I weaved my way through the church. I found four steps above me. The, the head of all the, the, um, the youth and family ministry, I knocked on his door and I said, do you have a minute? I need to tell you something. And I went in and confessed the struggle, what I was dealing with, the secret sin in my life. And I didn't know what was going to happen. I thought, do they execute people for things like this? Right. I, I really didn't. I mean, I was so scared about the, the implications of me being honest about what was going on in my life. And um, all, I don't even remember the words he said. I know that he smiled. I know that I cried more. I know that he hugged me. I know that I started seeing a counselor in that church. And that moment began a transformation in my life that has literally changed my life. The course of my life, the quality of my life. I will not say that I never dealt with that issue again. That's not true. But that moment and this psalm and the spirit of the Lord and I'll, I'll, I'll agree too. And my willingness, my willingness to, to humble myself and just to go out there and say, here's what I'm dealing with. It, it changed the course of my life. And so I'm going to give it to you this morning as a gift. And I, I want you to hear this right now. There's a bunch of verses there. I want to talk about every one of them. So it's going to take us a little bit. <laughs> just be calm. We've got time. It's going to be great. A lot of this is about confession. And, and, and the result of confession at the end of the scripture, I promise we're going to get to intimacy and freedom and joy. But there's a pathway to those things for most of us, right? So key thing to, for you to understand as you're sitting and listening for yourself, not for another. As you're sitting and listening for yourself and not another. There's a huge difference between conviction when the Holy Spirit comes and speaks to you out of kindness and invites you into a changed life, which is very specific and condemnation, where the enemy of your soul comes down and tells you, you are bad. See, that's a lie from, from the, the father of lies. When conviction of the Holy Spirit comes, it's specific. And guess what? It's always an invitation to very direct action, not easy action but very direct action. Psalm 32 is a maskal. That's the Hebrew term uh, of David, King David. A maskal just means a sort of type of instructional contemplation. In other words, there's teaching in it, but you're supposed to consider it. The word selah happens three times in this uh, psalm, but I didn't, I didn't put it up there. That just means at least three times David said, man, that was a good point. People should really think about that one, even though he probably didn't realize that we were going to be reading his journal thousands of years later. This is right out of David's prayer journal, the man after God's own heart. G. Campbell Morgan, great British evangelist of the early 20th century, talked about Psalm 32. It's a psalm of penitence, but it's also the song of a ransomed soul rejoicing in the wonders of God. That's what we were doing when we were worshiping this morning. It was the, the songs of ransomed souls as we rejoice in the wonders of God. Sin is dealt with, sorrow is comforted, ignorance is instructed. So we're going to dive in. 
Verse 1, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. If you've ever read Psalm 1, Psalm 1 begins with a way to be blessed. It says, blessed is the, the man or the woman, the person who doesn't walk in the counsel of ungodly or stand in the path of sinners, but delights in the God's word. In other words, one way to be blessed is do what God says. Now, if that didn't work out for you in your life, like all of us sinners, Psalm 32 gives another path to blessedness. I'm not saying that's not a good one. Go with Psalm 1 if you got it. If you're perfect, great. If you're with the rest of us, Psalm 32 is another way to the blessing of God when you've veered from the path of God. So he says, blessed is the man in whose spirit there is no deceit. We're going to talk about what that feels like, but what is it? Uh, A spirit that has deceit in it. I don't need a lot of words here. It's a lack of integrity. It's just simply your insides and your outsides, they don't match up. What what you show and, and pretend in any way in your life, in any area of your life, is not what's revealed in here. Uh, uh, a, a person in whose spirit there is deceit is living a lie. Now, we've all done that to some extent and at some time. There's no one in the room who, who doesn't have a secret that, boy, you just, oh, I wouldn't like to go back and think about that again. doesn't mean we're all living in it right now, but we all know what it feels like to sometimes live outwardly something vastly different than the reality of our inward uh, place before God, our spirit before God. How does it, deceit get in a person's spirit? I think real uh, quickly and easily, we believe a lie told by the enemy of our souls. We agree with something that the enemy says, and then whatever that means, we, we live out of that, we try to, to deal with the wound of that. We try to cover that up. In some way, a lie gets implanted in us. I, I loved it the way Chris said, you know, either something inflicted upon us or self-inflicted. You know, something that we've done or something done against us. And something gets in there. And then we've got to figure out how to do life outside, around or in the midst of or in spite of that wound. And we find ways to do that. And, and when we agree with a deceitful way to deal with that, deceit gets in our spirits. And we can walk around with it. We harbor a lie, we feed a lie, we nurture a lie, we believe a lie, we act on a lie. Listen, I don't have it up on the screen. It'll be in my notes on the web. But listen to this from Thomas Merton. It's a a mystic uh, priest, monk of the last century says, every one of us is shadowed by an illusory person, a false self. This is the man that I want myself to be, but who cannot exist because God does not know anything about him. This guy's a poet, all right? So just hear the poetic language. My false and private self is the one who wants to exist outside the reach of God's will and God's love, outside of reality and outside of life. And such a life cannot help but be an illusion. The secret of my identity is hidden in the love and the mercy of God. 
It's Colossians chapter uh, 3. Therefore, I cannot hope to find myself anywhere except in him, in God. Therefore, there is only one problem on which all my existence, my peace, and my happiness depend, to discover myself in discovering God. If I find him, I'll find myself. And if I find my true self, I will find him. Um, New Seeds of Contemplation by Thomas Merton. David goes on, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. We know what that feels like. Remember last week in Indiana? It's the impact of sin, unconfessed, harbored, hidden. And we don't need to spend a lot of time here because we've all experienced the reality of walking around with secrets. Secret sin, secret, you know, something where we just know we're not walking in integrity with someone in our life or with God or maybe with ourselves. Essentially, hidden sin is a cancer. And there's only one way to heal it. It's got to go. Here's what's interesting. David was not just silent. I think the scripture actually says he kept silence. He says, I kept silence. It's almost like David wasn't just quiet. He nurtured quiet. He wasn't just hidden. He nurtured hiddenness. He, he orchestrated his life to make sure that no one would know what was happening on the insides. Unfortunately for David, fortunately for us, God decided to, to, to open his life up to us. So we could see not only not only what a, a, a man or a woman after God's own heart looks like in the positive, but but to help us realize that even the man after God's own heart sometimes keeps silence about sin. Silence before God is good. We need it. Silence in order to avoid or deny reality, not good. And we need much less of that. And this cancer of hidden sin, man, I sound like a preacher, don't I? (laughs) We need the whole truth, right? This cancer of hidden sin is not dealt with by chemotherapy or radiation. There's only one way for this cancer of hidden sin to be dealt with in the life of a follower of Jesus, a believer under God's grace. It's, It's elective surgery. It's, it's got to be brought out into the light. It's got to be confessed. It's the only way. As long as we harbor sin, we empower sin. As long as we harbor and hide sin of whatever type, we empower it. We basically give the, the, the reins of the enemy in our life and say, lead on, enemy. That's what we do when we harbor sin. So enough of that. You understand. It's got to be brought to the light. What's the way out? David says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Let me stop here for a minute. Last week, I talked about speaking to your soul. Remember from some psalm, which I don't even remember. It was awesome. I don't remember what I said. I know I talked about speaking to your soul. It's like David right here is speaking to, he's he's writing in his journal. So I said to myself, hey, self, you ought to confess your sins to God. 
he, he was there in the presence of God. He's having this encounter. He's thinking about how did I get clean from, from the, the power of this sin in my life. And he said, I said to myself, hey, soul, hey, mind, hey, will, hey, emotions. I'm, I'm, we're going to be honest with God about this. We're, we're getting this thing out. And remember, he's in a prayer. And so he says, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. It's confession. Confession, very simply, is agreeing with God about what is true. We, we, can, we can complicate it. Confession is just agreeing with God about what is true. It's, it's, it's allowing our lives to be open before God and saying, God, okay, here's the reality. You know everything. Here it is. I agree. There it is. Not, not judging ourselves. That's not confession. Not making penance for ourselves. That's not confession. Confession is just, I agree with you, God, about what is true in my life. Confessions mean, means we stop hiding and we start talking. It says, I did not cover my iniquity. That word just means crookedness or distortion. It's a great way to think about sin in our lives. Crookedness or distor- distortion. C.S. Lewis talked, his image of sin was to say every person has a bentness. He talked about bentness in the person. That, that, that's our sin. That thing that we, you know, we're, we're meant to be called straight up before the Lord, upright, righteous before the Lord. Because of what Jesus did, we live out that righteousness. But to some extent, we all have this bentness. We're, we're, you know, we want to be straight before God, but we bend towards an idol. We bend towards something in our lives that will take away the pain of the wound or whatever the, the situation is in our lives. We've got to stop hiding those things, those inordinate loves, those malformed parts of us, and start talking. So here's the standard question at this point that 82 of you are thinking right now. Okay, I get it. I've got to be honest with God about my sin. I think I can do that. But do I have to talk to a human? Actually, have written in my notes long, uncomfortable silence. <laughs> but, I, but, but I'm with you, so I don't want to do that. Here's what I think: If you're thinking to yourself, I can't imagine ever saying to someone what I really think and what I'm dealing with and what has power in my life right now, then yes, you probably need to talk to a human. As long as you keep it hidden, you empower it. As long as, you know, we find ways around getting, dealing with whatever issue it is in our lives, we, we give it power. Here are some hints that you might have something hidden. Aren't we having fun today? I promise. I, if we have to stay here till 1 o'clock, I'm getting to the good part. Some hints you have something hidden, a false self, a lie, a bentness or deceit in your spirit. These are my words. Let God do the work here. Okay, just open your heart to God. You don't need to go into your heart with your own, you know, scowling. Just let God, the Holy Spirit, do the work. Some hints you have something hidden. You pick and choose the scriptures you'll read to avoid conviction. You're laughing. I do that sometimes. I have done that. The more you know the word, the more you know the word. Right? Right? And you, you realize, you know, I, I follow a pattern of reading 
uh, I have for years. Just I open a book and it tells me what to read. And, that, and that's a way for God, the Holy Spirit, to guide my reading. There have been plenty of times in my life where I opened up and I go, oh, man, I don't want to read that. I know where that ends. You pick and choose the scriptures you'll read to avoid con- conviction. You have to cover lies with lies in your life. If you have to cover lies with lies in your life, you know there's something hidden. You would dread, every, you would dread it if everyone who knows you in your current relationships would show up in one room and talk to each other about you. You avoid intimate worship or feel afraid to open yourself to God. You don't want to listen to God for fear you might actually hear him speak. Just let God do his work. Side note, real, deep, genuine confession of sin has been a feature of almost every significant, lasting, impactful revival in human history. Look, look at Acts 19. Look at Second Chronicles 7.14. I won't read them now. Just jot them down. Acts 19. You see believers, believers realizing as God is, is present and moving by the Holy Spirit, they've got to get rid of their secrets. And they bring their magic stuff out. I, I, I've, been, I've been dabbling on the enemy's turf. We're talking corporate there, but every corporate move of God begins with a personal move of God. We call out for revival. We pray for revival. We long for revival. Guess where it starts? It starts right here. It starts right in our own hearts. God, circumcise my heart again. God, make my heart tender again. God, bring me back to my first love. God, show me, search me, know me. Is there any wicked way in me? And show me the way of life. David goes on. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are my hiding, a hiding place for me. I realize now I'm probably reading different translations. Sorry. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. It says, therefore, at the beginning of that. Key interpreter secret. Ready? This is the secret sauce of, of, uh, of hermeneutics. Interpreting scripture. Anytime there's a therefore, you've got to ask what the therefore is there for. Wasn't that fun? It was worth it just for that. So why is it there for? Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you. What's it there for? He's saying, given the pain and the agony of hidden sin, the distortion, the disordered love, and the freeing and the cleansing power and joy of the forgiveness that follows confession. Because of all of that, therefore, let everyone who is godly pray at a time when you may be found. In other words, confess while the confession's good. Confess while the confession's good. I promise you from personal experience, not just 34 years ago, but plenty of times through my life, into my current season of life. I promise you from personal experience, keeping sin hidden never makes it easier to confess. Every day makes it harder. Every day makes it harder. I promise you that. If you're thinking, 
I'm laughing because I think this sometimes. If you're thinking, but I can handle this. You ever thought, but I can handle it this time. This time it's different. I won't ever do, think, act, etc. again. If you're thinking that right now, you're lying to yourself and you're agreeing with the enemy of your soul and you're lying to God. And when you begin to think about the consequences of your confession, but what if I tell my spouse, pastor, friend, leader, coworker, that I've been watching porn secretly on my phone, that I've been drinking secretly, that I've given my life to this fantasy, that I have been gambling, that I have been, and you know, just look in the news to see all the other stuff. That, that's scary, isn't it? <laughs> what if your inner life was projected on the news? That's enough. What if I tell my spouse or friend I've been getting, giving into those fantasies, cultivating that affair of the heart at work in my neighborhood, in my church? What if I tell my boss I've been cheating her with my work or taking credit for something that I really didn't do? And, and you, you, you spin out in your mind. No, we spin out in our minds all these terrible consequences. And so David brings this comforting truth. Remember, David's in the middle of a prayer. He's talking to God. He's remembering the results of his confession. The pain before, the process in the middle, and, and the product at the end. Did you get the three Ps there? That was fun for me. <laughs> and this is what David says. You know, it's like he's remembering, but, but oh, you're my hiding place. Oh, you preserve me from trouble. Oh, you surround me with shouts of deliverance. Isn't that the big fear? If I'm honest about who I really am, what I really think, what I really do, how I really feel, if I let out what's in to someone in my life, I won't be safe. That's the big fear, right? If if they really knew me, they'd kill me. They certainly wouldn't love me. They'd reject me. That's the big fear. I won't be safe if people really know who I am. And yet the one who knows you best loves you most. Stand and speak loud. But I knew intimacy was missing, that heart to heart. So one day as we sat and we were just speaking the things of God, I said, you know, I love you very deeply as a brother. I said, but yet I feel like God would like us to go deeper and just be what we are on the inside, that we would know that about each other. And he told me exactly what you said. If you knew what was in me, you would stop liking me. And I just want to say this. Creating a culture of redemption in the house of God and in the kingdom of God is so key because... There's almost this message that was somewhere born in the church world that God can forgive you from being a fornicator, adulterer, gambler, smoking dope, all this stuff as you come to Jesus. But once you know him, you know, we expect you to look right, act right, say the right thing. And we have not allowed the grace of God to continue 
to pull out of us the thing that hinders us and pour in the spirit of excellence and healing and hope that we can go on to maturity. Redemption has to be the environment of the kingdom. And we cannot move in fear. We have to be strong enough to know we're all human and we all have weaknesses. And unless we create an environment to confess that and share it and grow together, not be afraid of how somebody's going to treat us. I've been a pastor for many years. People's humanity, I finally learned to see what God sees and value people no matter what their stuff is. And when you value them, you give them a yes to be all that they can be. Thank you, Ron. Awesome. Thank you. Ron and Terry pastored for 30 years. We're privileged to have them here. And that's, that's the voice of experience. That's the Father's heart. A, a, a culture of redemption. We're all alive because of redemption. Your hiddenness is not your safe place. Isn't that, that's what we think. I know it because I've thought it. I'm safe as long as nobody knows. Your hiddenness is not your safe place. God is your hiding place. Your hidden pain will not keep you from trouble. To, to think so is like, let's just be straight about it. It's, it to, to think that, that hiding your pain, walling up in your pain, will, gi- will give you strength, will keep you from trouble, is like you're a battered spouse. And you go back to your spouse and you say, he'll keep me safe because he's strong. What's wrong with this picture? He is strong, but not on your behalf. Right? The enemy is strong, but not on your behalf. So when we think our hiddenness is our safe place or our protector, we agree with the enemy. God is our hiding place. God is the one who surrounds us with protection. You want to start hearing a shout of deliverance, you won't hear it hiding in your lie. But if we'll come out, if we'll open up, if we'll be, I mean, if we'll give up, I mean, literally give up, you know, not give in. We've done enough of that. Give in to all the stuff that the enemy wants to say. I'm saying give up. We come out of our hiding and say, okay, God, here I am. And the fear is we're going to get killed out there. And what we find out there is God is our hiding place. We don't have to do the hiding. He's our hiding place. You are never in a more protected, from heaven's view, I didn't say safe, protected place than when you are right out there in the middle of God's will. Like, here I am, God, you know everything. Doesn't mean hard things won't happen. But God is your hiding place. God is your protector. And then we'll hear angels' shouts of deliverance. I want to talk for a minute about Celebrate Recovery. I'm so thankful for Celebrate Recovery. And Brian and Kat and Jacqueline, who have nurtured that in our church for the past year, going on two years now. I mean, amazing changes that happen in people's lives Sunday at 5 o'clock, every single Sunday, 5 o'clock in this church over there. Because people come in right here. That's exactly what I meant. Right 
here. <laughs> I guess I'm going back right here. Hey, buddy. Just coming for Jesus. Listen to me. If when I said celebrate recovery, your thought was, I would never go to something like that. I would never need anything like that, and I would be too ashamed to go to something like that. Then guess what? You need something like that. You need something like that. I mean, just, just listen to your own self-talk. It's very instructive. So David says, I, we're, we're, we're moving on. What's the promise for those in whose spirit there is no deceit? They've walked down the confession. They were honest with someone. They were honest with God, with the human. They're now walking free. God is their hiding place because they're not protecting themselves anymore. I will instruct you. Now this is God speaking. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. I got to that horse and mule, and I just thought to myself, the best title of this sermon would be, Don't Be a... (laughs) But I can't do that. But I got to do it without saying it. What's the point? I feel better now. What's the point? What God is saying is, Don't be like an animal outside of relationship that has to be guided by physical means. God does guide his loved ones sometimes with circumstances, with with discipline, with invitation, all beautiful, wonderful things. But what does the scripture say? I'll counsel you with my eye upon you, with my loving eye on you. God the Father wants to see us face to face. He doesn't want to ride us through the world like a donkey or a horse having to guide us with a yank and kick us in the flanks. That's not the heart of a loving father. The heart of a loving father is, wait a minute, I don't want to use you. I want to know you. I want face-to-face. I want eye-to-eye contact. I want you to gaze into my heart, child, and see all of the love that I have for you. And I want to gaze into your heart, and guess what I will see? Perfect incarnation of love. His name is Jesus. See, we fear face-to-face with the Father because we think condemnation is coming. Not recognizing that face-to-face with the Father is the position of intimacy. Eye-to-eye, face-to-face, soul-to-soul. The eyes are the window of the soul. We look into the eyes of Jesus. He looks into our eyes, and that's real intimacy. At that same church 34 years ago where I had that encounter in the sanctuary, you know, two spots up for me was the actual youth pastor. I was working with 7th and 8th grade boys, and I remember the day the youth pastor got up and he said, okay, boys, he's just talking to the, to the boys, 7th and 8th graders, junior hires. He goes, all right, who knows what the most uh, valuable sexual organ is? Junior high boys. Sweat's breaking out, you know, all sorts of things are happening in the room, snickering and so forth. And you know what he says? Great. He says, the eyes. He says, the eyes. That's where intimacy happens. Sex isn't about body parts. It's about intimacy. Into you, I see. That's what it's about. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. That's the promise after confession. And, and, and all of the, the cleansing power of the Holy Spirit, right, is intimacy. This is the promise. I want to counsel you with my eye upon you. You ever been with someone that you know really well, and you're just sitting there talking and so forth, and then 
you see something and you look over at them and you see them seeing it and you know what's going on in their mind, right? You're like, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Taco bar or whatever the thing is, you know, right? What is that? That's intimacy. I know what's going on in your mind. When, 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 when it says, when the father says, I want to guide you with my loving eye, what he's saying is, I want you to be fixed on me. If you're looking at me, you'll see where I'm looking and you'll know where to go. You don't have to scramble. You don't have to fight. You don't have to go through pain. No, take, scratch that last part. There's plenty of pain. But not alone. Eye to eye, face to face with Jesus. That's what guidance is promised for us. It's in the context of relationship. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. We're in a New Testament context, so it's important for me to say, the follower of Jesus who does not trust God but is looking other ways and is bent and has got deceit in their spirit, they are still surrounded by the loving pesed, the, the steadfast love of God, but they can't see it because they're not looking at Jesus. So let's not think if I sin, then God steps away. And, and I, That's not my point. My point is if you're fixed on something other than Jesus, it's going to be very hard to see his loving kindness around you because you're scrambling so hard to try to make your life work. You're scrambling so hard to sort of hide and make sure it all works, right? And so the promise is that for the righteous, guess what? If you're in Christ, you are the righteous. In spite of this, all the stuff that's been going through your mind, right? I want you to be clean. I just want you to live out what's already true about you. You are the righteous. What do the righteous do? Well, they're open. They're honest. They confess. They, they, they walk without hiddenness. And what else do they do? They shout with joy every day because they're the... <laughs> Thank you. Because they're the righteous. Because the loving Father said, you know what? Your sins and your wicked deeds, I, I see no more. You are clean. Let's pray. Let's stand up. God, thank you. Uh, ministry team, Lynn, you want to come up? God, thank you that uh, in this place there is redemption. Scripture says in, in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the ones before we came to Christ. That's the ones now. That's the ones coming. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So, Holy Spirit, we ask that you come now as not just the one who convicts, but as the one who comforts, as the one who draws, as the one who encourages and emboldens and empowers. Holy Spirit, you are the one that draws people out of darkness and lets us walk in glorious light. That is our inheritance, to walk in glorious light. So, Spirit of God, come. I'm just going to allow us to be here in the presence of God. I don't need to guide a time of ministry. The Holy Spirit is the minister.
if you if you want to talk to someone, if you need to to confess, you can talk to me. You can talk to anyone up front here. You can talk to your friend. You can talk to another pastor. word is for the men in the church. Um, I felt it very strongly. This is going for myself. And it's coming straight from God. My son, my child, you are forgiven. And I love you very much. And I want you to be free from what is holding you back. In Jesus' name. You want to respond to that word, uh, to anything that God's doing, and you want people to minister to you, you're welcome to come and pray, or just to come and on the stage or down below to kneel to be before the Lord. I, I, uh, I release you to be the righteous, to be the free, to walk in the protection and the love, the mercy and the grace of God. And not just to walk in it, Vineyard Church, but to give it away to the world. Amen.